Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. We want to start by thanking our new patrons, David Lawrence, Thalia Rodriguez, Victoria Clark, Samantha Rabe, and Isaac Roundtree. We couldn't do this without you. Patrons get access to our exclusive Discord where you can chat with us about the show or whatever else is on your mind. Bloopers, behind-the-scenes audio, and weekly updates on the show. Different tiers get stickers, t-shirts, coffee mugs, too. Sign up to support the show at patreon.com forward slash 13 pod. We've got a big show for you this month with lots of familiar voices and some new ones. We're excited to welcome Emma Shujarko back to the show. You can find Emma most recently on her show Pairing, where she talks with guests about pairing wines with various arts and culture. There's even an episode where she and Brooke pair wines with the movie Beetlejuice. You can find Pairing wherever you listen to podcasts and check the show notes for links. We're also welcoming Nate Dufort to the show. You've heard Nate on No Sleep and Creepy, and you can also hear him on his horror comedy podcast, All My Neighbors Are Dead, as well as children's shows, Unspookable and Reach, a space podcast for kids. You can find links to those in the show notes as well. This month, we're also welcoming Kayla Timshiv to the show. You can find Kayla at kaylatimshiv.com and on TikTok with the username Keep It Spooky. You can find links to those in the show notes as well. A little bit of news. Beginning this month, you'll start hearing ads on the show. Running this show is expensive and time-consuming, and we pay every actor, writer, we pay for music, hosting fees, the website, and lots of other little odds and ends that come up along the way. The ad revenue is just a fraction of the Patreon support that we receive from listeners like you, but it'll help make up for all the little expenses that make this show the best listening experience possible. Now, we've got a great show for you this month, and we're excited to get started. But first. This month's episode of 13 is brought to you by our first ever sponsor of the show, Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens a few weeks ago when they reached out to us and sent us a promo pack, and honestly, wow. I've never taken a supplement before, but I'm looking for more energy in my life, better gut health, and we're all looking for ways to strengthen our immune systems right now. Athletic Greens does it all. I actually noticed today at the office that I kind of did this half jog, half power walk thing around the building on my way to a meeting, and anyone that knows me knows that I'm not a jogger and I don't run for any reason. But that's changed since I started using Athletic Greens AG1 formula. I use it in the morning when I'm starting the day, and I feel great, I have more energy. Brooke, Bridget, and Liz got a promo pack too, and we all agree it tastes great, it's easy to use, and it fits into your morning routine. And that's crucial since the four of us have gone in on an abandoned summer camp deep in the woods that we're rehabbing and hoping to open by next summer, next to a beautiful lake and everything. And with that kind of lifestyle change, it's great knowing that Athletic Greens fits into any lifestyle, whether you eat keto, vegan, paleo, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It costs less than $3 a day to invest in your health, much cheaper than getting all those different supplements yourself. And they have over 7,000 five-star reviews. Speaking of reviews, we found some pretty troubling things about that summer camp from back in the 80s. But if anyone can turn that place around, it's us, and if anything can fuel our drive for success, it's Athletic Greens. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, and that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 13, that's 13 all spelled out like the word, not the number, 
Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash 13 to take ownership over your health and pick up your ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now, on with the show. The neighborhood where I grew up was an old neighborhood. It was full of old houses and tall old trees. In the fall, big leaves came down and went skittering up and down the streets and sidewalks. It was the perfect fall neighborhood. So it's no surprise that it was full of Halloween people. When the days got shorter and the nights got chilly, my neighborhood really came alive. The decorations would start going up. There was just an energy in the air. Maybe that's why it was always mine and my sister's favorite holiday. We just grew up that way. In fact, my neighborhood loved Halloween so much. We did it twice a year. We had trick-or-treat on Halloween, and we did it again at Christmas time. We called it Winter Trick-or-Treat. Molly and I were eight years apart. A big enough age difference that when I was young, we were never into the same things at the same time. By the time I was old enough for something, she'd long outgrown it. Molly kind of resented me at first. And looking back now, I get it. After all, it was just her for such a long time. But as I grew up and became more of a real person with an actual personality, and as she matured a little bit, she warmed up to me. She was old enough to be my babysitter, and that's when we really started to bond. I don't know why it happened then, but it did. When our parents were away, we bent the rules a little bit. Watching movies they wouldn't have approved of, she'd let me eat too much candy, let me stay up a little too late. I looked forward to those nights. Maybe I remember them so vividly because it's the first time I felt something like independence. Those nights, home alone with her, those are some of my favorite memories. As she approached the end of high school, I knew that it meant my sister would be leaving. But nothing prepared me for how empty the house felt when she was gone. It was just my mom and me after that. When Molly graduated, I was just moving into middle school. She was gone that October, so I did Halloween alone. It was 2003. The first few weeks after she left for college were tough. Mom missed her too, just as much as I did. But after a while, it got to where I didn't think of her every day. I didn't miss her so badly. I spent more time with my mom, and she started treating me like I was older. The conversations she used to have with my sister, she had them with me now. The things she talked about, it was a lot of nostalgia. Talking about my dad, about the time before. I don't remember him as well as my sister does. But the memories I had, the ones that really stuck with me, they were different memories of him. And I think that was refreshing for my mom. 
There was a long weekend for Thanksgiving when Molly came home. I was so happy to see her. And she was happy to see me too. It had only been a couple of months, but something was different about her. She seemed a little more grown up somehow. It was a hectic weekend. We didn't have very much family on my mom's side, so we went to my dad's family for Thanksgiving. They still treated us like family, even all these years after he was gone. We were all pulled in different directions by our favorite extended family members. My mom had been thinking about spending a few days away over winter break, a couple days to regroup and reconnect after Molly was gone for the first time. It wouldn't take up the whole winter break, just a couple of days to be together, away from the temptation of running off with old high school friends or disappearing into the internet, which, in 2003, was still LiveJournal, AIM, and LimeWire. One of our uncles was in charge of a state park with cabin rentals. I overheard Mom approach him, asking how to reserve a cabin for December. Actually, we give the staff the week off between Christmas and New Year's. I could probably leave a key out for you, and you'll have the entire place to yourselves. Is that where those girls went missing? They went missing from their houses. It didn't have anything to do with the park. Look, don't believe the stories. They wandered off and got lost. Probably drugs. Who knows? But the place is completely safe. Plus, it's all still landlines. So the kids will have to actually interact with each other. No cell phone service up there. At least not yet. If you say so. Thanksgiving break was a blur. It came and went too quickly. And just like that, at the end of the weekend, Molly drove off, back to her new life. When she left, I didn't feel quite as lonely as before. I'd made some new friends at school, I was finding new interests, and I felt like I was growing up a little bit too. I wondered if she'd noticed while she was home. But some nights, when mom went to bed early, I'd sit awake and I'd feel that same aching like those first days after she'd left home. Maybe I missed her, but it was muted. It was background noise. After all, in just a few weeks it would be winter break, and she'd be home for two whole weeks. After Thanksgiving, my world started making that familiar transition. Halloween decorations came down, and others went up. Like I said at the beginning, we were a Halloween neighborhood. So much so that we found ways to incorporate it into Christmas, too. That's how Winter Trick or Treat came to be. Every year, on December 23rd, a second trick or treat happened in my neighborhood. This one more holiday-themed. A little more subdued, a little smaller. A lot of people were already traveling to see family. But for those of us that were still here, winter trick-or-treat was just as much fun as the real thing. I'm getting ahead of myself. There was this tree, 
a big evergreen tree on the main road through the neighborhood. Every year, that became the unofficial neighborhood Christmas tree. It was full of what must have been thousands of lights, and it glowed bright from sundown until about 11 p.m. From my window, I could see the very tip of it over the roofs of the other houses. It was sort of a nightlight when I was younger, but I didn't need a nightlight anymore. I looked out the window, and it felt so close. Then it would go out, and I'd be all alone in the dark. My school schedule and my sister's college schedule were a little different, so I was surprised when a couple of days before my school let out for winter break, I came home and saw a familiar car in the driveway. I rushed inside, and Molly was waiting for me in the living room. It happened almost instantly, just like that. Things felt like they were back to normal. I had to go to bed early because it was still a school night. I was lying in bed that first night, and I could hear Mom and Molly talking in the other room. I don't think they knew how easily voices traveled down the hall and under my door. They were talking about that trip to the cabin after Christmas Day. Are you sure he really wants to? He might feel, I don't know, out of place. How long have you even known each other? He doesn't have anywhere to go. He'll just be at campus all by himself. <sighs> just let me think about it. I wasn't sure what was going on, and I didn't put much thought into it. A couple minutes later, I saw the lights on the neighborhood tree go dark. It was late. I closed my eyes, and soon after, I was asleep. Winter trick-or-treat came, and I went as a snow angel. It was warmer than usual. I actually got hot and sweaty in my costume. I started to complain, but Mom wasn't having it. Enjoy it while it lasts. It's going to be freezing in a couple days. One by one, my friends broke away and went home. My sister stayed behind and handed out candy on our porch. She was still there waiting when we walked up. That night, I laid awake again, looking out the window at the peak of the big neighborhood Christmas tree, lit up like a beacon in the night. I watched from my window as the low clouds started rolling in, catching light from the city. I looked at my clock, and it was after midnight. It was technically Christmas Eve. I thought about that conversation my mom and uncle had at Thanksgiving, about our trip to stay at the cabin in a few days, about having the place all to ourselves. No other families, no employees. What were we going to do for two days? Under the door, I heard Molly and mom talking again. I just think it'd be nice for us to have a couple of days to ourselves. Why did you wait until the night before to tell me? 
He's probably already packed up. I never said he should plan on coming. Where are you going? I have to call him so he doesn't start driving. I heard Mom's footsteps in the hallway. After you live with someone for so long, you can recognize their footsteps. You'd know them anywhere. Under the door, I saw the hallway lights go out and my room got dark. More footsteps and then her bedroom door pulling shut. I closed my eyes and drifted off to sleep. On Christmas Eve, we had a tradition. We made plans for the coming year. Everyone got to say something they wanted to do. If it wasn't realistic, we found something a little closer to home. It was something we did after my dad died. A promise we made to each other. That we wouldn't take the years we had for granted. It was a wish, really. A wish for more time. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day came and went. On Christmas night, we packed up and made plans for the trip. The weather turned cold after dark, the coldest night so far that year, like winter announcing that it had settled in for the season. The next morning, we finished packing the last of the things we'd need for a two-day trip, and then we loaded up the car and drove off. I watched as the house receded behind us. We turned out of our neighborhood, onto the main road to the highway. The drive to the cabins would take about an hour and a half. Something about the day after Christmas just feels a little depressing, a little hollow. We're expecting just a little bit of a dusting in the Appalachian foothills, but north of the Ohio River, it's going to be a completely different story. Up to 16 inches in southern Ohio as this front makes its way through the region. The further we got from the city, the more the radio signal faded. It was cloudy. The trees were bare. We passed a couple of towns before the hills started to grow taller. The interstate winding up and down into the valleys between them. I remember being disappointed that it wouldn't snow that much, thinking that I wished we were going to Ohio so we'd have more of it. When you're a kid, car rides feel like they take forever. This one did too. Trees as far as you could see. A handful of single exit towns and hills that rose a little higher every few miles. I spaced out looking through the window and stayed that way until I heard my mom put on the turn signal and slow down for an exit. I snapped back into the present and looked up just as we passed the big exit sign. A little town called Olive Hill. Once we were off the highway, Mom pulled into a gas station by the exit. We went in to get snacks and a few extra supplies for the cabin. The place looked deserted. It was the kind of place that would be busy with campers and other outdoorsy people in the summer, 
There was a single employee behind the register. That's when I saw the first missing person flyer. It was taped to the front of the checkout counter, and there was another on the wall behind it. It looked like it had been there for a while. A girl about the same age as my sister. She was pretty. She looked happy in the photo. I remembered what I'd overheard my mom and uncle talking about. Is that where those girls went missing? She'd been gone for two years. Even at that age, I knew what that meant. People don't usually just turn up after two years. She smiled down at me from her photo, from some time in the past. In a different time, she looked happy, and that made me sad. We left the gas station and started down a country road, winding through the foothills. Both sides of the road were crowded with trees. Signs of civilization got more and more sparse the further we drove. At some point, I realized that I hadn't seen a house for a long time. We were winding deeper and deeper into the Daniel Boone National Forest. The road arced upward, a long, smooth curve. Up and up we went until the road broke through the tree line, and all of a sudden we were above the forest. We kept climbing, and off in the distance, I could see the cluster of buildings that made up the town of Olive Hill. When the road flattened out, I could see forever in every direction. Once we were at the top of the hill, we'd arrived. We pulled to a gate with a chain and a padlock. It was one of those swinging bars that you could step over if you weren't driving. Mom got out and used a key she'd gotten from our uncle to open it up. We drove about another minute past the gate, and then we came upon a cluster of buildings. Several cabins, an office, and a multi-purpose building. There was a steep cliff at the end of the parking lot by the main office building, with views that looked like they went on forever. Mom got out and found a key that my uncle had hidden for us with our cabin number on it. It was the furthest back, away from the office, and sat up a little higher than the others. And, at least from the outside, it was definitely the nicest one. When we first walked in, the cabin was freezing. After we powered on the furnace, it only took a few minutes to feel the place heating up. It was the off-season, and all of the amenities in the multi-purpose building were closed but the cabin itself was amazing. The hiking trails were still accessible, and the views over the forest were incredible. On that first day, we tried to bundle up and go a little ways down one of the trails, but the cold and an oncoming wind were just too much. Mom started making dinner, and the three of us sat on the couch and put on one of the DVDs we'd brought along. After dinner, we got our sleeping arrangements set up. We all had separate rooms. As soon as the movie was over, Mom stood up, said goodnight, and went to her room. Like any kid, it wasn't unusual for me to fixate. 
I kept thinking about the weather report from the car radio, the one about a little dusting of snow overnight. I asked Molly if she thought it would snow more than they thought. I don't know. It might miss us altogether. There was a weird moment of silence between us. I could tell she was deciding whether or not to tell me something. Can you keep a secret? Yeah, what is it? There's a friend from college coming to visit. Mom doesn't know, and you can't tell her. We're just going to hang out in his car for a while. Okay, can I come? You can come say hi if you want, but then you have to come back inside. Deal? I agreed, and we put on another movie. I knew what was going on. I'd heard her and Mom talking in the other room the past few nights. I didn't really want to hang out with him, but I was curious to see who he was. Molly didn't really have any boyfriends in high school, so I didn't know what to expect. We put on a movie, and I caught myself taking note of every little rustling wind, every settling creak of the cabin, listening for the familiar sound of tires on pavement. It didn't come for a long time, and when it did, the first thing I saw was the sweeping of headlights across the cabin windows. Shit! Molly's eyes shot towards Mom's bedroom door, but there were no sounds of movement. I looked up at the clock. It was almost midnight. Molly turned back to me. Wait here. She put on a coat and crept out the door to go flag him down. I waited to either hear Mom stir in the other room or for Molly to come back. After a few minutes, the front door cracked open and Molly peeked through and motioned for me to come out. She led me out to a car that was parked down by all the other cabins. As we approached, I could smell the winter exhaust. In the driver's seat, there was a guy who looked, I don't know, just kind of unremarkable. He said hi, and I said hi back. His name was Steven. Do me a favor. Can you go back inside and go to bed without making any noise to wake up Mom? I'll come back inside in a little while. Don't lock the door. I was disappointed, but I did what she said. Back inside, I brushed my teeth and went to my room. The window faced the direction of Stephen's car, but there was condensation on my window, so I could really only make out the shape of it. I laid down and got under the covers. I faced the window and tried to go to sleep. It was dark out there, darker than I was used to. I looked at the orange numbers on the alarm clock by the bed. It was after midnight. The snow still hadn't arrived. My mind wouldn't be quiet. I got up again and looked out the window. Stephen's car was still down there. As my eyes adjusted, I could make out the shapes of the office and the big cabin it was attached to. I could see a little glow far off. The town. Off on the horizon and bright against black, empty wilderness. There was something else. A shape. 
It looked like a person. I saw it pass in front of the other cabins. I couldn't tell if it was Molly or Stephen. It moved slowly, like it didn't care about the cold. As it passed by the hillside, it stopped and looked out at the lights from town. I watched it while it stood there, and then I noticed something. I was wrong about which way it was looking. The figure wasn't watching the lights from town. It was looking at our cabin, like it had seen lights on. I got up and moved toward the window to get a better look. I brought the blanket with me, draped over my head, ready to drop to the floor and hide beneath it at any moment. The figure was short, maybe even a kid, a kid like me. It was too short to be either Molly or Stephen. Maybe there was another family staying up here after all. Maybe our uncle had left a key for someone else, too. As I considered this, the figure made a slow turn and walked back in the direction it had come from, until it was obscured by another cabin and out of my sight. I don't know what time it was when my sister came in. I just know that when I woke up and went to the bathroom, the light in the main room was off. The cabin was dark and quiet, and I was the only one awake. I remembered the figure out the window, the one that was looking at our cabin. The window spooked me. For some reason, it didn't bother me then, but now that I was the only one awake... Back in my bedroom, I noticed that it looked brighter outside, but it was too early to be morning. And then I saw it. Snowflakes. Lots of them. Falling hard and fast. My heart jumped at the sight of it. I went over and put my face right up to the glass. The cold was jarring when it hit my cheeks, but I didn't care. It had already covered the grass and the road. I couldn't tell how deep it was, but it was way more than I had even hoped for. The night had a grayish-white aura, and that heavy darkness from before was replaced with an inviting wonderland. I tried to lay down, but I kept getting up to look again. Each time, it was a little deeper. Up to the bottom stairs at the cabin door, then... The wind was blowing drifts against the car, burying one whole side up to the door handles. I looked out, and I could still see Stephen's car. Was he still out there? Was Molly? I was still awake, still watching, when the sky began to lighten. Not on the horizon, but everywhere, all at once. Maybe it was just my lack of sleep. Maybe I'd started to doze without realizing it. Maybe it was the beginnings of a dream. But just before I closed my eyes and really fell asleep, just as I started to drift away, something moved. Something 
that must have been there the whole time. Something moved away from the window. When I woke up the next day, I heard noise in the other room. What is he doing here? He was just coming to say hi and hang out for a little while. He wasn't supposed to stay. Just two days. That's all I asked for. Just two days. How are we supposed to know we'd get snowed in? What do you want, for him to go sliding off the side of the mountain? I just wanted to have a couple days of family time. I looked at the clock by the bed. I hadn't been asleep very long. Bright white light was pouring in the window. I could see little shapes falling past the glass. It was still snowing. Wasn't it supposed to stay north of the river anyway? Obviously it didn't. I got up and looked outside. In the daytime, I could really see the extent of the snow. And it was the most I'd ever seen in my life. The wind had blown drifts of it almost up to the windows on one side of all the other cabins. One whole side of the car was covered, and the rest of it was buried to the wheel wells. Further away, down toward the main cabin, Stephen's car was also completely covered. So are we just going to sit in the cabin for the rest of the day? Honestly, I don't even know if we'll be able to leave tomorrow. Maybe it'll melt. It's starting to slow down. I'm gonna call your uncle. If they think that it's empty up here, they're not gonna plow the road. I finally got up and went out into the room with everyone else. Stephen was there, which I'd gathered from overhearing their conversation. I didn't understand yet why they were all so anxious about it. As a ten-year-old... I didn't realize how dangerous this could be. My mom came back from the other room after calling my uncle to tell him we were stranded. Hey, honey. Everything's all right. How'd you sleep? Back then, I didn't have the words to articulate what I saw on her face. But she looked like she did when she was lying. She introduced me to Stephen, and I told her we'd already met. Upon hearing that, she gave Molly a look. Whether she liked it or not, he was here until the snow melted. After breakfast, Mom got me bundled up and let me go out and play. She told me to stay close to the cabin, not to go any further than her car. She was worried I wouldn't be able to tell where the ground ended under so much snow. She was worried. I'd walk right over the edge. While I played, everyone else stayed inside where it was warm. I ran around and jumped in the big drifts. I sank almost completely underneath them. I heard a sound from the front of the cabin and looked around the side to see what it was. Stephen was trying to dig out his car, but he didn't have any tools. I felt like it should be louder. Snow has a way of deadening sound. It just absorbs it where it would otherwise bounce off and echo. I went back to playing behind the cabin, 
I don't know how long it was before I noticed her. By the tree line, behind the cabin, about 50 feet away. Another little girl, right about my age. Right away, I remembered the figure I'd seen outside the night before. Had that been her? I remembered wondering if there was another family in the cabins. I looked at her for a moment, and then I waved. She smiled and waved back. I started trudging through the snow toward her, surprised at how difficult it was to walk through deep snow. As I got closer, and I got a better look at her, something was wrong. Something I hadn't noticed from a distance. But now that I was close, maybe closer than I wanted to be, I couldn't believe my eyes. The little girl, about my age, about my height. She had my exact face. An identical copy. I tried to scream, but nothing came out. She just looked at me, smiling a friendly smile, but I was panicking. This was wrong. This was very wrong. I darted as quickly as I could back to the cabin, back to the safety of my mom and sister, in the deep snow, I was moving slow. With my back now turned, I imagined her coming after me, advancing through the snow, cutting through it while I struggled. I looked over my shoulder. She was just standing there. Her expression changed. She was sad now, a big pout on her face. Not angry, She didn't look like she'd be coming after me. She just looked... hurt. But I couldn't help it. I was in full panic. I found my voice and shouted for my mom and Molly. They came rushing out the sliding back door just as I found my footing. When I reached them, I turned to look. But the other girl was gone. I tried explaining what I'd seen, but I didn't have the words. I know they didn't believe me. Oh my god, you're soaked. Honey, come inside. Let's get you warmed up. They scooped me up, and just before we were inside, I looked once more. Had it been my imagination? Had the cold gotten to me? There was no sign of her. But... Just before we crossed the threshold into the cabin, there it was. Footprints in the snow. One set approaching the cabin, and another retreating back into the forest. Mom made me sit in a hot bath to warm up. The adrenaline ran its course, and Combined with last night's lack of sleep, I was exhausted. I laid down to take a nap. Mom was convinced that the cold and my exhaustion were to blame for my imagination. I'd jumped in one of those snowdrifts and laid down too long and dozed off. 
Maybe I'd had one of those micro-dreams you have in that space between sleep and wakefulness. Cozy and warm under the covers, I heard footsteps approaching the door, and I heard Stephen's voice. I'm sorry, I can't move it more than a few feet. Is there a shovel here somewhere? Look, even if there was, I'd have to shovel all the way down to the main road. Mom called my uncle. He runs the place. He can help. I had to leave him a message. I hope they didn't go out of town. Does he have a cell phone? I only know the home number. So are we just gonna sit around all day and leave tomorrow? I don't know if we're going to be able to leave tomorrow. I listened to them absentmindedly as my eyelids got heavy. And then, I was asleep. This has been part one of a two-part episode. Part two is already in your feed. See you there.